0: You are salt, you are light, and not a jot, not a tittle is passing away. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. please be seated. I threw some old school language at you, jot and tittle. The translation is uh, every letter and every stroke of the pen. The, the Greek is the Greek letter Yoda, which means I, but it's really that's a rendering of the Hebrew word for the letter Yot, which is basically just a little dot, and then the Greek word uh, translate that, that older English translates tittle is kiriah, and it simply means a little tiny little flourish. It's the it's the differentiation in English between capital C And capital G, the little line that makes uh, clear that we're praying to God, not Cod. So it's important to notice these things, right? And what Jesus is saying is you need to read carefully. There are really four things that I think he wants us to walk away from this passage with. Uh, one, there's a certain assumption about these words that are in the Law and the Prophets and by extension, the Scriptures in general. One, I can be confident that they are God's words. Two, because they're more than human words, there's a certain posture of receptivity that I should take as I read them. And then third, when I do, I will discover some wonderful things there that God, first, that God's promises will be fulfilled in detail, and secondly, that God's commandments are there for me to obey in detail. So first, the confidence that Jesus is exuding about about these words— A confidence that these are not mere human words. Now, to be sure, they're quite human. It's not automatic dictation like that which is claimed for the Quran or the Book of Mormon. No, these words are very real, they're very earthy, they come out of authentic, live human beings' experience including Miriam's exulting over God's drowning Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, including David's lonely songs in the wilderness, including Solomon's love song to one of his thousands of wives, and maybe not unrelated, his pondering the vanity of everything. It includes Matthew's refrain, such and such happened that this scripture might be fulfilled. It includes Mark's refrain, and immediately this happened. It includes Luke's elegant, classical Greek, and John's see Dick, see Jane, simplicity masking amazing profundity. It includes Paul's when he's arguing, may it never be. And it includes John the Revelators. How long, O Lord? And at the same time, it is all, as Moses says in the book of Exodus, by the very finger of God. Or, as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, breathed of God. Which is why it's my custom when we get to the scripture reading to say, please be seated as we listen to God's holy word. And it's why our rubrics um, invite us to close scripture readings with the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's the deal, we don't have the right to take a razor blade to it as the third president of the United States did and cut out the sections that we don't approve of. Or, as a current candidate for the presidency has said, some things never should have found their way into the Bible. We don't have permission to do that. Churches like this one get built because we share at least one assumption with the kind of people who are enshrined here and on whose shoulders the preacher, well, normally stands. The Apostle Paul from the first century holding the sword of the Spirit, St. Augustine, Bishop of Carthage, who impacted European theology amazingly because of his commitment to Scripture from the Augustine from the 5th century, Joseph Butler of the 18th century, and Phillips Brooks, one of the greatest American Episcopal priests and preachers ever from the 19th and the 20th century. They took this as more than human words so that when they mounted their pulpits, they could say with full integrity and full faith, thus says the Lord, not because I say so, but because He says so from here. We share with them the assumption that this book, these words bring Jesus and Jesus brings life. So every jot and tittle means first, confidence that it's all from God. Second, every jot and tittle means it's really a good idea to adopt a certain posture when we read. In the first place, slow down. It's one of the great things about teaching Greek is students realize I can't take anything for granted anymore. I have to slow down. Discerning what the yoke is doing, the tiniest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, or what the little line in that would in Hebrew do the equivalent of separating a capital C from a capital G means I have to look closely. I have to take my time. Notice what's really going on. It means reading daily. One of the great things about following the daily office that's in our book of common prayer is Every seven weeks, you get all the way through the book of Psalms. And every single Wednesday, you're reading some 24 verses from Psalm 119, which is in praise of God's Word. And so, the daily reading invites you to take into your soul verses like this. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you, Psalm 119, verse 11. Or... Your word is a, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. And it means read with the saints. It's been a wonderful experience for the last year and a half to be reading through the bible with uh, with a group of you on Wednesday nights. We've gone through the New Testament, the five books of Moses and now the history books and g- sitting down and wrestling with well what does this what does this mean? I it I, my toes get stepped on and what about what about you and what do we do with this? But reading with the saints and in light of Christ having come. And that brings us to Three and four. First, read with confidence that this is more than human, that this is more than a human product. Two, read out of a certain posture, especially a slow read. But then third, reading with the saints in view of Christ's coming means there are wonderful gems to be discovered. Every jot and tittle, notice this is what Jesus is saying, none will pass away until it's all fulfilled. Fulfillment of the tiniest details of the promises of Christ's coming. This is what the Apostle Paul wound up discovering. Because a new reading of the law and the apostles was forced upon the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He slowed down, and he noticed that in Leviticus 7, there was a sacrifice, not just the whole burnt offering that covered all of Israel's big sins, but there was was a special sacrifice offered for the unintentional sins, the sins that I'm not even aware of. And when he realizes what it took to cover his sins, He exalted in that. And so he gives us Romans chapter 8, the beginning of of that chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to feel guilty anymore. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Why? Why? for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. I can, I can maybe control that I don't murder, but there's ways, there are ways that I hurt people just because I'm, I'm inherently not paying attention. And because I'm inherently operating with mixed motives. I hope you guys know that it's okay to have mixed motives. Because if there were non-mixed motives, there would be no motives at all. But don't get so excited in Episcopalian (laughs) pulpit. Because they're made to discourage that sort of thing. Okay. So... For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh like us in all things and yet without sin and for sin. And in this phrase, he picks up that, that special phrase in the book of Leviticus that talks about a sacrifice for the tiniest little, the picadillos, the little things that you're not even aware of. Even those are covered And he condemns sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So every jot and tittle means that fulfillment is in the tiniest details. Therefore, there's no condemnation. And then fourth, every jot and tittle means for us, fulfillment of the tiniest commands. Now, the it, it, it means that we can, when we adopt the right posture and we read slowly enough, we notice things that look like they're contradictions. But because we've slowed down, we get a chance to wrestle with, well, okay, what does it mean here that he says, do your good work so that People might see and glorify God. And then in the very next chapter, he says, don't let people see what you're doing. Don't let them see you praying in public. Don't let them see your piety. Just go to your closet, and then you have your reward. Otherwise, you don't. Well, he says both of these things, and how do they go together? Well, you don't figure that out unless you read slowly and realize, well, As Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for this and there's a time for that. There's a way in which I can do things knowing that people are going to see, and that's good. And there's a way in which I can do things that people are going to see, and that's not good. But I'm called to pay attention and figure out how I'm supposed to obey in a particular moment. And as the church, as the early church wrestled with Scripture... And they wrestled together to figure things like that out. And they figured things out like, I I hear that amen. Okay, so there are some things that are easy for us, like Isaiah 58 today, loosing the bonds of injustice and sharing your bread with the hungry. The Episcopalians in the room are going, yes, that's what we're called to do. But Psalm 112, it's a little uncomfortable. The psalm invites us to look in triumph on our enemies. That sounds a little weird. Well, it's there, and it's there for a reason for us to figure out, well, what does that look like in view of Christ's coming? And so, the early church understood that the command, say, to kill every one of your enemies, including their livestock, didn't mean burn down your non-Christian neighbor's house. It meant kill every non-Christian inclination in yourself, R- recalling what's going on in the Beatitudes, in the paragraph before, where what is in view is our pride, our envy, our bitterness, our sloth, our greed, our gluttony, and our lust that are to be replaced by the blessedness of Christ's presence in our lives as he brings humility, blessed are the poor in the spirit as he brings graciousness, blessed are those who mourn, a commitment to justice, generosity, the taming of the appetite, a purity of heart. Kill the enemy of Christ in yourself. Or, as Paul, again, reading slowly, would put it, put it to death, put to death the old self, because you've been made new in Christ. Now, next week, we'll look at Jesus because he was kind enough to give us some examples of how this actually works as he goes on in the rest of this chapter to talk about murder, anger, adultery, lust, divorce, lying. I don't know, maybe some people wouldn't care to be here next week, but well, I know everybody in here, but warn your neighbor. Every jot and tittle. And then, finally, just a few brief words on being salt. See, all the above makes you different. And that's why Jesus likens you to salt, because salt is different. My guess is that the first thing that people figured out after Noah gave them permission to eat meat after Noah's ark, was that meat didn't last real long. They didn't have refrigerators. And so meat would only sit around for so long before it would go bad. So I imagine that the second thing that people discovered was if you rub salt into it, It'll last a lot longer. Second, things taste a little better. Salt can take something that tastes meh and make it something that tastes whoa, nice. It's kind of fun to to walk through uh, uh along the sea coast in in Iceland and have and see these slatted wood slatted buildings that emanate a certain fishy kind of smell. And but it's not a bad fishy smell. It's kind of a it's a savory fishy smell because you can rub salt into fish and make it last for a really long time. So salt preserves. Salt gives flavor where there would otherwise be just meh. And in Leviticus and Numbers, salt even sanctifies. There were certain offerings that you would offer because God makes a covenant of salt with his people, that the salt makes it holy. Now, salt can only do its thing when it gets pressed into that which it is supposed to preserve, give a better flavor, and make holy. Jesus is expecting us to be pressed into the world around us, that the world might know some preserving influence. And we're to call to even season our conversation with salt, that we might have the chance to talk about the one who makes life flavorful and not just meh and brings holiness to life. We've brought Peter Tepper on to our clergy staff precisely to encourage us, to help us to be pressed into the world. And at the congregational meeting a couple of weeks ago, he encouraged us, set your alarm for 11.02, because Luke 11.2 says, may your will be done, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as in heaven and ask the Lord to reveal the names of like three people that you know that aren't in the kingdom as of yet, and pray for them, and pray for opportunities to season your conversation. I encourage you to accept the challenge. We, uh, we will be doing alpha courses uh, in the fall in general, so that you can invite non-Christian neighbors to come and just talk about life and Get around to talking about Jesus. If starting this week, we're going to be doing a, a smaller pilot um, training for table hosts. If you're interested in doing that, let Peter know. In the bulletin, there are some opportunities to take some safety courses. The Stop the Bleed course and the Hands Only CPR course. The American Heart Association course, the second one, the fire department decided they're not gonna do it before we could take it out of the bulletin, so ignore that one. But stop the bleed and hands-only CPR. You might know, you might need the training, and you might know a neighbor who cares to get trained so that they might potentially help somebody in in a crisis situation. Give Lori Pyle an email and let her know that you're interested. We've been talking with um, Orange County Public Schools about how can we help. And they're interested in relationships with faith communities. That's an awesome thing. And they've encouraged us, and uh, and Kay Leonard has taken the lead in this. They've encouraged us to develop a relationship with Hillcrest Elementary School, just maybe not even two miles away from here, on Concord, over in Lake Eola Heights. They have a language magnet. uh, They have a language magnet. Uh, department, our school, and they would like people to come in and volunteer, to, to listen and to, and to engage with kids. Are you kidding me? The doors are open for us to go and share our lives with kids and with parents. Um, just make a note on your connection card that you're interested in being a, a part of our, 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 our relationship with Hillcrest Elementary. Uh, friends, there is, uh, it's, just, it's a wonderful thing to be given God's very words, that we can stand confidently, if humbly, and talk to people about God's view of life and to be pressed into people's lives by God's dear providential care, that we might be salt and light that people might see that there is a God who cares. And so, to him who is able to do abundantly, far beyond all that we could ask, or even think to ask, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church, now and forever. Amen. Amen.